Welcome to the Metric Stack Podcast. Your hosts, Alan Villa and Lauren Thibodeau, will talk to founders, leaders, marketers, and more to uncover how they succeed with data. Whether you're struggling with data, reluctant to take the leap, or maybe you're a seasoned expert with years of experience, you'll hear stories from people like you who have used data to grow and scale their business. Welcome back to the Metric Stack Podcast. Today, we're joined by Aaron Burry, co-founder and CEO at Willful, an online platform that makes estate planning easier and more affordable for Canadians. Erin, we're delighted. So glad you can join us today. I'm excited to be here. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Lauren. So why don't we why don't we start with a bit of a, a picture for the audience? Tell us a little bit about Willful and how did you know that it was the right time to launch this new company? Yeah, great question. Well, I, I know my husband will probably listen to this podcast, so I can't take full credit. It was definitely his idea. Uh, he's one of those entrepreneurial thinkers who has a million business ideas a minute. And uh, it was after his uncle had passed away suddenly. And we really saw, like anybody else out there who has lost a loved one, all of the steps you have to take after someone passes away and how much more difficult that is if you don't have a proper plan in place prior to passing away. Uh, And when we looked into solutions that catered to us as early 30s at the time, digital natives, we found, you know, the Airbnbs and Ubers and wealth symbols of the world that were making these processes simpler and more beautiful, but we didn't really see any innovation in the estate planning space. It was very much still the way it had been done, you know, 50, 100 years ago, very paper-based, visiting lawyers and offices. So we just saw an opportunity to kind of modernize that process and bring it online with a beautiful user experience. So why was it the right time? Well, it was kind of the, the moment that we had a personal experience was the inspiration for it. But I think it was also a time when people were, uh, in 2017, much more comfortable with doing important transactions online and um, taking care of things like their banking and their financial transactions. So uh, it did turn out to be prescient because during COVID, estate planning uh, became very top of mind for people in a way that it really hadn't before. Let's just stay there for a second because you know, as as this is a new space, um, and yes, I agree, there's a lot of people that are becoming more more familiar with doing all sorts of things online. But this is a this is a special area. How did you get your first customer? How was that experience? Was there sort of a, a trust relationship that had to be built before you actually got the first customer or first dozen customers on board? Yeah, I mean, you're correct in that there's a certain sense of weightiness to estate planning, right? You're having to consider your own mortality. It involves legal documents. It's not as simple as just going on Airbnb and booking a weekend away in in Miami, right? So I think the first place we started, because we didn't have backgrounds as estate lawyers, was partnering with estate lawyers, uh, signing contracts with them to craft our documents and making sure that we started from a place of quality when it came to the product. And then really building that into the communications, you know, lawyer drafted wills, lawyers in every province on contract with us. So that trust was really important to address from the beginning. And Alan, too, I would say education was really important from the beginning, because to your point, you know, everyone understands banking or opening an RSP, but ask someone about the ins and outs of estate planning. And none of us really learned that in school. It's not a common dinner table topic. Uh, So there's a lot of education that goes into what we do, both around what a will is and why you need one, but also why don't you have to do one with a lawyer? How can you do one online and why is that legal? So that's really where we focused. And the first customers, unsurprisingly, were people we knew. You got to turn to that 
personal network first. Um, and, and we always say Willful was built by consumers for consumers. We are the people who use Willful. We have Willful wills ourselves. And so when we looked at our network, it was new parents and people who had just gotten married, new homeowners. And those are exactly the types of folks who benefit from a platform like Willful. Super interesting, Erin, uh, and, and that you took your personal experience and turned it into something that's helping you know, so many people now. It falls into a new space for us. And, and as we were preparing for this podcast, we were really intrigued by the term death tech. Yeah, I, can't, I, cannot, I can't help but just, you know, chuckle when I hear that. Like, <laughs> you know, I see the, the black t-shirt with sort of this sort of Metallica, you know, band on it, but maybe that's not it at all. <laughs> Yeah. Can you tell us about that space? And, and you mentioned revolutionizing something that was on paper. Like, tell us about the death, death tech space. What have you learned? It doesn't have the best branding, Lauren. I think we need to work on the name. It's like life insurance. Like life insurance is also about what happens when you pass away. It just has a better brand, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, when we started out in the space, we we obviously did our research on the market and we looked at what else was out there. And uh, there were companies in the UK and the US who were tackling aspects of the pre-planning and post-death process. So there's so many things that you can tackle along that continuum from helping people get life insurance to pre-planning a funeral to creating the legal documents like wills and power of attorney documents. Then there's this whole other side of the coin, which is post-death, right? When someone passes away, you're organizing a funeral, you're taking care of the burial, you're settling their estate, applying for probate. So there's so many companies out there that are tackling, simplifying and modernizing elements of that process from direct-to-consumer cremation platforms that make it more affordable to cremate someone uh, or even a pet. There are companies that are simplifying estate settlement that help guide you through closing up bank accounts and digital accounts for, for a loved one. And then, of course, there are folks like us who are tackling the legal documents. So there really is this burgeoning space uh, that has been coined death tech, not by me, but someone else that really tackles kind of every aspect of that, that process. And it's interesting because when we've pitched investors in the past, we've had some feedback that, you know, it's, it's a pretty niche space. And I always chuckle to myself because everybody is going to pass away at some point. This is a product that will touch each of us, both because we're all going to pass away at some point, hopefully way far in the future. And because everybody will go through the loss of a loved one, especially as we're going through the largest wealth transfer in history. So I think it's a good thing that people are modernizing this process and that it's not um, in the shadows as much anymore, because part of our role is destigmatizing conversations about death, which let's be honest, we all avoid as much as humanly possible. So, you know, you put it that way, and maybe none of us should be surprised that this is an industry. I mean, it's been an industry forever and ever and ever. But nowadays, I mean, if anybody wants to do anything, they go online and they type in what they're looking for and up pops, you know, the, the available services. So tell me a little bit about, you know, the, in the early days, you know, if people were doing that, were they finding you? So let's, let's go beyond the friends and family kind of first customers how did how, what was your go to market and how did you then get those first customers where did you find them our kind of acquisition mix has always been really led by organic search so we are uh, a process that people 
turn to Google to start with because there's not a lot of education around it. You're typically going to Google and typing in get a will or, you know, find a lawyer to write a will, online wills. And so we've spent a lot of time since day one investing in building out educational content that can, you know, A, help to surface and, and influence our search rankings, but also that's value added to the consumer when they actually arrive on our site. Uh, we've also done a lot of work with partners. So from day one, finding complementary or like minded partners, whether that's all state insurance who's selling someone home insurance when they get a new home, which is one of the catalysts for, for getting a will, to partnering with financial planners and advisors, really just building out partnerships with folks who are talking to this, the, the audience that we have, which is folks going through major life moments like marriage, divorce, birth of a child, buying a home, etc., uh, and we've also done a lot of PR. So I used to own a PR agency. And it's funny, I know we're talking a lot about data today. And there's a lot of focus in with e-commerce or digital companies around, you know, metrics-driven user acquisition, like ad strategies. And, and we absolutely have a paid acquisition manager who focuses on that and does a great job. But again, our biggest challenge is just getting Canadians to think about having a will or to learn about just the basics. And once they know about it, we become a natural choice. And one key way that we've always done that is PR, really trying to get into the media, um, you know, going on breakfast television and talking to a national audience about why this is important. Uh, so that was something we focused on in the early days. And that really helped us to get to our first, you know, thousand customers. So, so let me let me poke you there. How do you know that that PR strategy is working? So you've got content generation from an SEO point of view, you've got, you know, advertising dollars that you're spending, you've got PR that, you know, is landing you know, editorial in various different uh, outlets. How are you measuring those things? Or, or what do you what do you think of when you think of, you know, success there? Yeah, I mean, it's funny, people always kind of lump PR in with brand marketing and say that it's really hard to track. And, and it absolutely can be it's not as scientific as running a Facebook ad and seeing a set of metrics. Uh, but I'm an instructor for grow class. And my whole talk track is the fact that PR can be growth, it can be metrics driven. And the types of things that we measure when it comes to PR and media coverage are things like referral traffic directly from links that are embedded in third party sites, we measure the impact on direct in organic search traffic, especially if it's a TV segment, let's say, well, there is no referral link out. It's, it's, a, it's a broadcast segment, but we can see the impact and annotate that in Google Analytics to know, oh yeah, that's the day that we were on breakfast television and we can see that spike. We measure it through things like domain authority, because when you do have high quality backlinks, you can actually see that domain authority going up as a result of that. Uh, and we also ask our customers, which I think is so key, at, you know, where did you hear about us? And we constantly see amongst those other sources like professional recommendations or referral from friends and family, organic search, PR and media is, you know, I read about you in a news article tends to be one of our top five uh, reasons that someone came across us. You know, I think that's key uh, as well, just to sort of pause on that piece of advice, that low tech idea of just asking, where did you hear about us? Because multi-channel last touch attribution, nobody has solved that. It, it is absolutely one of the most difficult things to do. So yeah, let's, let's just ask people. 
And it's not always scientific, right, Alan? But to your point, I don't think that anyone has perfected mapping to the nth degree exactly how people found us and moved through the funnel across devices and you know where to attribute it. But I think a combination of looking at how they came into your website, how they moved through it, and then just asking them, you know, where do you remember hearing about us can be a great place to start. Absolutely. We're not always rational and we don't always remember. So yeah, the more data points you've got, the better, you know, that, uh, that intelligence is going to be. So as you've gone on to raise, to fundraise, you, I assume, have started to track or double down on, on certain metrics kind of pre and post. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of what you measured, you know, in before and sort of has anything changed and matured or evolved in, in some of those performance metrics that you might be measuring today, specifically around growth? Absolutely. I mean, we were, like many startup founders, extremely immature when it came to data and metrics in the early days partly because we were just so focused on, you know, getting a product ready and launched that it, and partly because it wasn't our background. You know, as I mentioned, my background is as a tech journalist and and I owned a PR agency for six years. Uh, So brand marketing is really my forte and not data and analytics. So it was really only when we brought in our CTO, Matt, who is very adamant about clean data and analytics and analyzing the funnel that he really started to wave the flag and champion the importance of this. And honestly, if he hadn't, it would have taken us a lot longer than it has to get to where we are now, which is being a very data-driven company that places a lot of importance on analytics. And you know that included things like implementing Amplitude for product analytics and uh, building out an internal growth dashboard, which maybe Clipful could help us with, but uh, you know, a growth dashboard that uh, gives us a real-time view of the key metrics in our business and the types of metrics that we care about from a business perspective are things like uh, our NPS score. You know, we do have to have a product that people love, so NPS is a really valuable metric for us. Our review score on Google or Trustpilot, which speaks to how much people love our product and their likelihood to refer people, and then you know, the obvious things that investors and businesses care about like our average order value, uh, our conversion rate, which is obviously really important to how relevant our website content is and how easy it is to move through our product. We don't have, we're not SaaS, we don't charge recurring revenue. So things like churn uh, are not relevant to us right now, but things like growth month over month and signups are big for us because you can sign up for an account on Willful and maybe finish it and pay for your will at a, a later date. So those are the types of things that we would be measuring in that. That, um, kind of ongoing dashboard. And then in Amplitude, we're really looking at the smaller you know, sections or chunks of that funnel and trying to figure out how could we better empower people with the education and knowledge they need to make it further in the process and ultimately complete their will. Were there some metrics that the investors brought to the table that you guys weren't aware of um, that were almost like a, an eye-opening, a, a better way to sort of manage and look at your business? I think the investors were really helpful on unit economics, right? Looking at things like the customer acquisition cost for paid channels, the customer acquisition costs for blended, and how that relates to the lifetime value of your customer. And again, as a one-time purchase product right now, uh, our lifetime value of our customer is our average order value. If you're paying $149 for a will and power of attorney documents on Willful, right now, we're not charging you anything in the future. So we have to be able to efficiently 
recently acquire you as a customer for a cost that makes sense. You know, we can't be spending $500 on getting you in the door as a customer because we're not going to make that back in future. So I think the nature of our business as it stands now um, really relies on positive unit economics. And that was something that investors really worked with us to to, to so, make so sure we're standing out. Yeah, so that's really interesting, right? Because there's no, in your business, there's no sort of future or upgrade opportunities. So everything ahead of the sale, you need to really, really work on to make as efficient as possible. So get them in, keep your CAC low, keep the onboarding efficient, um, you know, <laughs> hopefully not have any sort of lengthy onboarding discussions and away you go. For sure. I would say that's the, the goal today or that's the picture today. Yep. Our vision though has always been to build a suite of digital products that help people with pre-planning or, or post-death services. So right now we're one-time transactional, but one thing that we've consistently heard from investors is we've got to have that recurring revenue, right? And, and not that we're implementing that or, or considering it only because of investor demand. That's not a good reason to, uh, to build that out. But we also do know that our customers every day are asking for other tools, whether that's the ability to record other information outside their will, the ability to share that with family members and executors and help with wrapping up someone's estate once they actually do pass away. So uh, it's very much in our future to diversify beyond that one core product. And our, the metrics we care about will inherently change as we add those things. LTV will become much more important than average order value once we have a, a bunch of different products, right? So I think, and you probably see this in your work every day, the metrics that matter change over time. They're not always going to be the same five numbers. Are there other ways that you can sort of scale the business as well? So instead of, let's say, let's say, and, and, and I think you're absolutely right. I think there are lots of different services and potentially other one-off services, but maybe it's a subscription as well. Are there other ways that you can see scaling this business and, and getting you that sort of extra plus, plus, plus down the road? For sure. I mean, one of the ways that we could easily expand would also be geographic expansion. People always ask us about, you know, are you going to go to the US? And the truth is, the US is a much bigger market, but it's also a much more crowded market. We have great partners in the US, like Trust and Will, the willful equivalent based out of San Diego, and they've done a fantastic job of growing a brand. So we now have to go head to head with them if we launch in the US. Uh, so, you know, we are constantly evaluating the different levers for growth in the business. And one of those is just widening the pool of customers that could buy the existing product. One of them is expanding the SKUs that we sell so that we can diversify that. Uh, one is, you know, product recommendations. So for example, I'm never going to build a direct-to-consumer cremation platform, but my good friends at Arbor Memorial or at Irene Cremations can help our customers achieve that. And, and we can obviously take a finder's fee on that. So there's so many different ways to to uh, a similar endpoint, and uh, and each of those would include a different set of metrics that we and investors would care about. Yeah, it's interesting when you raise NPS, and and what's striking me is the trust. I mean, you mentioned brand, you mentioned it's a taboo topic. As you're letting people in, and you're partnering with them, Willful's partnering with them on this really intimate process of someone dying. You're building up a trust that, you know, I use Airbnb, I love it, but I don't, it's a different level of trust and intimacy with your platform than others. So um, that's just striking me that NPS is a really interesting metric and maybe has more power in your world than some of the other companies who are using it. Um, but let me bring that around. You're learning all kinds of fascinating lessons. And as, you, as you're going through this process, and, and as you've said, your metrics will change over time. 
Um, you also wear many hats and advise other startups. And so what metrics do you find yourself coming back to most when you're advising other startups? Oh, that's a good question. You know, when I work as an advisor with startups, I tend to really focus on the marketing side of it. That's my my background, my expertise, and more importantly, my passion. It's what I get excited about. Um, so I'm constantly looking at the kind of marketing focus metrics. So things like not just customer acquisition costs, but the channel diversification and the metrics associated with each channel. So one trap I think people get into is they rely way too heavily on one source of traffic, for example, Google organic search or Facebook ads traffic. And then all of a sudden, iOS 14 makes it really difficult to advertise on mobile or Google updates its search algorithms and your SEO ranking you know, hits the toilet. And all of a sudden, you really don't have a backup plan for how you're going to replace that traffic. So one of the big metrics I focus on, not really a metric, but a set of metrics is the channel diversification. What is the percentage of your traffic that's coming from each source? And what's the percentage of your conversions or your customers that are coming from each traffic source? Another big one that I focus on when I advise companies is conversion rate and conversion rate by channel. You know, you might be getting so much traffic from a Russian affiliate site and absolutely zero of those people are becoming customers. So your traffic looks great in those monthly investor updates, but realistically, investors don't care if you get 7 million people to your website if no one's actually high intent, right? So I think that's the focus for any startup out there is how do you get high intent people into the top of your funnel? How do you move them through efficiently? Things like channel diversification, conversion rate, and yes, customer acquisition cost by channel to me are the best health metrics for that in the long term. That's a really important point. I think a lot of people who talk about metrics completely forget that segmentation is the key to the context, right? So as you said, all this traffic that we're getting which areas are important, which ones are actually converting, which ones are activating. And I think you really have to, with every single metric, you know, across every single department and, and, and aspect of the business, you really need to sort of uncover and say, okay, what is the aggregate not telling me? And if I open up this, this lid, you know, what can I see is actually truly happening? And then you double down on the areas that are working and simplify your business where you can actually get rid of certain things. I, I want to bounce off of that and, and see, is there an example that comes to mind for you of that, Erin, either from Willful or from one of the companies you're advising, where when you segmented a particular data set, something different jumped out than what you were expecting? Absolutely. I mean, so we we launched a new kind of B2B stream of our business last year, which was really about forming larger corporate partnerships that could help to unlock you know, their audiences and, and highlight the importance of a will and drive their customers to complete their will and willful. So we created a, a partnership nationally with Allstate Insurance, which was our biggest partnership to date and launched that in the spring. And we've done a lot of analysis around the folks that are coming in through Allstate, either through their individual agents or through their website, where there's also an offer for willful versus some of our other channels like organic search or direct traffic. And we found 
found that people coming in through Allstate were much more likely to convert to becoming customers. And the insight that you take away there is, well, if I'm sitting face-to-face with or virtually or on the phone with my Allstate agent and I've just bought home insurance and they say, well, hey, did you know that you need to either get or update your will when you acquire a large asset like that? I'm, I, they're already priming the pump. They're doing the education for me. And it's a trusted recommendation from someone that I already work with. So that was just a really good kind of aha moment for us that um, these types of B2B2C partnerships are not only worth the investment, but they're ultimately better for the consumer too, because it makes them much more likely to get this legal document finished. Um, so that that's just one example, but you know, we we see that that's really what we're looking for is which of these channels are, yes, more likely to, to convert and drive revenue, but more importantly, which ones are are actually the people who need wills the most and who are more likely to to complete the process. I think that's a great example. And it got me thinking, you said that early in the journey, uh, you guys had sort of a an immature approach to data and you know analytics. You hired your CTO. I think his name was Matt. Um, how has how has that sort of changed over time? Has has the company as a whole now adopted this data culture? And and does everybody think this way, or is it still sort of Matt driving most of the initiative there? Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. It was definitely when it was the three of us. It were four four people. It was definitely Matt, kind of in every conversation, being a bit of the broken records, saying, "But what about the data? But the longer we let this lag, the harder it's going to be. The less historical data we're going to have." And we'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, Matt, but we'll get to it soon." Uh, and I'm so grateful that he did harp on that so much because every conversation that we had, whether it was about marketing or new product development or tweaking our existing product, it always came back to data. And um, thanks to him, we did spearhead kind of these OKRs and goals around implementing a product analytics tool and uh, really cleaning up our Google Analytics and making sure that it was tracking as accurately as it could possibly be, knowing it'll never get to 100%. And then also saying, hey, we need a human who is not me to own this because I'm not an analytics expert. And there are people whose entire jobs is just keeping data clean and managing data and analyzing it. And I can't be that person, but we, he was a huge advocate for somebody has to be that person. And if it's not a full-time person's job, it has to be a part of someone's job. So as a result of that, we did make data one of the core company goals for multiple quarters in a row, which we never would have without Matt. And we also made it part of someone's job. So we actually just hired our first product manager, which seems like a very late hire for a product manager, but such is startup life. Um, and her part of her role is data and analytics. And, and we, that was front and center in the job description in the entire interview and hiring process um, and one of her key responsibilities. So yeah, without Matt, we probably would be have a little bit more of a black box when it comes to our data. And I'm very grateful that he really has led us down the path of becoming a very data-driven and metrics-led company. Okay. So let me roll that right into sort of this, this next question, because if you know it or not, the mission that, that we're trying to uh, work with at Clifolio is, is really helping people succeed with data. So if you think about that phrase, succeeding with data, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to you now? To me, succeeding with data means looking at what's happened in the past and allowing that to inform your future as a startup. 
there are so many unknowns when you're a small company and every day is already a roller coaster of highs and lows. And to me, the metrics that we look at on a daily basis are the best tool that we have to basically guarantee our success as much as possible in future, right? It means that we're not flying blind. It means that we are paying attention to what happened uh, and learning from that on an ongoing basis. And it means that we can predict, right? When we build our, our financial forecast now, we're not just you know putting a finger to the wind and saying, how much do we think we can make this year? We're looking at the historical data and allowing us ourselves to make assumptions based on actual historical data versus just a hope and a prayer. So um, succeeding with, to, with data to me means you either analyze and use data or you probably will get to a point where you're not running your business very well. Wise words, very wise words. And a great segue into maybe a closing piece of advice that you would leave with founders. What advice do you have to help them succeed with data? This one is extremely easy. If you are like me and you are not a data and analytics expert, if you are not the person in the room that is advocating for that, make sure that someone on your team is, whether that's an advisor, an investor, a team member. And, you know, and I'm not just saying this because this is a Clipfolio podcast, invest in the tools and the platforms that are actually going to make that a lot easier so that you're not, you know, spending all of your time or all of your team's time on just collecting data. You're actually spending your time on analyzing it and making business decisions based on it. Amazing. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Aaron Burry is the co-founder and CEO at Willful. And I think there's a lot to be said about surrounding yourself with the right people and of course, the right data. Thanks again. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Lauren, for having me. If you enjoyed today's conversation about metrics and data, be sure to check out Metric HQ, our online resource for the metrics that matter most to you and your business.